Hello to all the rugby league diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go. My name is Tom Canfell and it's great to have you coming. As we head into today's episode, you know how it works. We'll cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Andy Raymond. Andy, in my opinion, is one of the best play-by-play commentators in Australia and also the host of the Andy Raymond Unfiltered podcast. We'll get into his thoughts on a few issues around the game, as well as have a chat about his own career as well. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Andy Raymond. I'm joined by Andy Raymond as the next guest of the 60O podcast. Hey, Andy, how are you, mate? How are you, legend? Are you well? I'm very good, thanks. Really happy to have you on, mate. I've got six topics to cover with you today, and I'll kick things off with the game you called over the weekend. Manly Dogs. Manly get a tough victory. They weren't their best, but it's a win that they needed. Yeah, I think you've summed it up perfectly, mate. I really do. Um, uh, winning ugly is better than losing pretty. And I think uh, all of them will take that uh, that theory with them after that victory over the dogs. T- I mean, let's be honest. There was nothing pretty about it. If we're, if we're going to be legit, uh, there was nothing pretty about it. Um, and I reckon if you put... Daily Cherry Evans in blue and white. Um, the scores exactly reversed. It was his bit of direction, his bit of composure, his leadership, his experience, his maturity, however you want to term it. Uh, he was probably the difference. The dogs going into that game, it was they were up against it, weren't they? Really tough conditions. Also a big day for Manly. You'd think that they would be really up for that game considering the opening of the stand and things like that. What do you make of their efforts? Uh, look, I've been pleasantly surprised with the Bulldogs. Um, mate, they've been a side over the last couple of years where I think quietly a lot of us have questioned, A, if they're good enough, but B, are they putting in? And whilst there's still maybe a few question marks over, are they good enough? They, to my way of thinking, had a, a red-hot crack against the, the Seagulls. Um, they put their bodies on the line. Uh, it looked like they were playing for the jersey, playing for their teammates, playing for their fans. Um, and having watched their first three games, I actually, you know, there is, there is improvement there. I think there's, there's still a few worries. And the fact that Trent Barrett has changed halfback after just two weeks, I think is the craziest move yet. Yeah. But um, now I, I, I thought they were, I thought they were okay. Manly certainly haven't gotten off to the start that some people would have thought of. Can you put it down to anything, the fact that they're probably underperforming at the moment? It's a weird one, isn't it? Because if we wind back 12 months, mate, they lost the first four and, and you know, Des Hasler was under the pump. So he changed a few things up uh, and, and had his A-team play at least part of one trial. So they weren't going in completely cold to to round number one, but again, it hasn't worked. So there's obviously a glitch in the system somewhere there. Knowing Des, as I do, and having spoken to Manly players uh, over the last little while, their pre-season um, is as brutal, as physical, and as exhausting as any in the NRL. 
I wonder if it's just too brutal, physical and exhausting. Um, but in this modern day, mate, we, we don't go by emotion. We don't go by how a player feels. It's it's all governed by sports science and loading and, and how much a, an elite athlete can take. Uh, and all those things would be used by Des. Every single statistic known to man he would have on his laptop. So uh, he's got... He's got his reasons for it, um, and it could just be coincidence as well. It could just be coincidence, but it's probably something they'll have a look at at the end of the year and see if they can tweak that as well. Can I ask you what you've made of the rule change of if it's a six to go in your own 40, then it's actually a penalty rather than play on and six to go? To me, there's two main takeaways I've got, and I'd love your opinion on it. It's definitely slowed the game from last year. Now, it's probably quicker than five years ago, but from last year, it's definitely slowed the game down. But for me, it's put an emphasis back on having a top-class dummy half. I felt the game was very dominated by your halves and your fullback last year, whereas, to me, the teams with a top-class dummy half are really benefiting this year. Yeah, and, and that's going to continue to be the trend. I think, uh, I think in a few years' time, as we still settle into these new rules, I think the number nine is going to be the most important guy on the field, bar none. Um, he's going to have to have a real level of endurance. He's going to have to have a football brain. Uh, he won't be robotic. Um, and he'll have to have the courage of his conviction to... Uh, to make decisions that aren't necessarily in the game plan, but making decisions on the run with what he sees and where he wants to go. I agree that it's slowed the game down marginally. I think that's a good thing. I think, uh, you know, going back two years when we first changed the rules and it, it basically, it became touch football. Uh, I thought it was too big a change um, too fast, and I think without actually admitting it, the NRL has looked for a way just to temper that a little bit. Um, the games have been great games of footy. They're, they've been close games. They've been exciting games. But it's back finding that level ground between new rules, what's attractive, but also the you know, the nuts and bolts of what rugby league is. It's a it's a really delicate mix and, and not everyone's gonna agree and and try and find you know, try and find a formula that a hundred percent of people will agree on. That's never gonna happen, but I reckon they're headed in the right direction, Tom. I really do. Manly going back to Manly just for a second, I think that they're the team that's really um worse off for this rule change because you saw last year six to go spread to four and spread to cherry evans and they were able to get wide to tom really quickly whereas yep. now I, I really like lachlan croker i think he's a first grade footballer but the fact that they don't have a top class nine probably is hurting them the most at this stage yeah that's a that's a a, a good call mate and it's um it, it emphasizes you know, what I was saying about how important the nine is or the nine is going to be. I did an interview with uh, Lachlan for my podcast and we spoke about the transition between halves to hooker. Yeah. And he said he didn't... He knew it was going to be a big undertaking, but he didn't quite realise the enormity of the of the change and the challenge. Um, 
And what it comes down to is the, these elite level guys is making decisions under fatigue. And that's, that's what separates the, the good from the great or the good from the not so good. And he's still very much finding his feet as a nine uh, and making decisions under fatigue because he's far more fatigued because of the defensive workload than what he was playing at six or seven. And before his knee injuries, Lachlan Croker was a hell of a half. Jeez, he was good as a as a young bloke. Um, he had a terrible run of injuries, but I think he's still finding his feet um, in terms of you know the fatigue aspect of, of of rugby league. And and the longer he's there, the fitter he gets. Uh, you know, you might see more of Manly circa twenty one. Yeah, and just to finish off on Lachlan, I, I, I really like him as a player, and I think he's been thrusted into a role he was definitely unprepared for. You know, Manly at a stage had a decision to make between Api Corosau and Maisie Finu. They went with Maisie Finu, and obviously he's had some off-field dramas, but mm. Lachlan's been thrust into this role. So, look, I, I think Lachlan's a great player, but it, it, to, to me, he's, he's certainly working on it. That is for sure. Yeah, work in progress, and he admits that himself. Andy, there's a ton of fantastic young talent in the game at the moment. And personally, I thought the game was a little bit of in a, in a bit of a vulnerable position during COVID because the NRL was really the only level of play yep. at the time. But I, I don't think we've seen that as yet uh, take effect in the NRL because there's some fantastic youngsters in the game. Who's caught your eye over the past uh, three weeks? Gee, there's a few that have caught my eye. Um, a few... Uh... A few guys have sort of they've leapt out of the box a little bit. A guy like Jeremiah Nanai for yes. the for the Cowboys. Um, it shouldn't be as a surprise to anyone that has watched him and followed him. I haven't seen a great deal about him um, over the last couple of years, uh, but I've heard from you know very good judges that are mates that. Uh, you know, he ticks all the boxes, an amazing young athlete and and has that ability to place himself in the right place at the right time. And uh, sometimes it's just, it's just luck, but sometimes there is a genuine knack to it. And I thought we saw that yesterday in the Cowboys and the Broncos game. Um, right place, right time, right athleticism, and made it look easy, like he really, really did. So he's one guy that I've been um, been very excited about. And I tell you, I am enjoying, even though they've only uh, just the one win as Lachlan Ilias from the South Sydney Rabbitohs. What a position to come into! The number seven at the Rabbitohs on the back of, you know, the favourite captain of all time and the record breaker, the history maker Adam Reynolds and young Lachlan isn't trying to be Adam Reynolds, isn't trying to play Adam Reynolds' game. He's being Lachlan Ilias and, and playing his game. And, and I think, uh, you know, for his first couple of run-on games as a seven, I think he's done tremendously well. I agree with you there with Lachlan Ilias. And also, just to touch on Jeremiah Nanai, Jesus, it's a good time to score a hat-trick when you're in contract negotiations, isn't it? <laughs> oh, isn't it? Isn't it? It's all in the timing, as they say. <laughs> and if, just on the Cowboys, real quick, if they're able to keep Nanai and have Luciano Lealua come in for next year, that's a great back row combination going forward. 
Yeah, there's a great back row combo going forward. I still think they're... Um, they need that hard edge in the middle somewhere. They need an addition in the middle of the park, in the in the front row, uh, to take a little bit of the pressure off Jason Talmalolo. Um, Jason is so reliant on the first and second hit up, bending the line and getting a good quick play the ball, that um, a really strong, athletic, probably younger front rower that's able to get that quick play the ball, that'd be gold for the Cowboys. Absolute gold because Jason would then work on the back of that. No doubt about it. Andy, there's a deadline at the end of this month for Craig Bellamy to make a decision as to whether he continues as head coach at Melbourne. Do you have a gut feeling as to which way he'd be leaning? Well, I honestly thought a couple of years ago that he was he was going to call time. Really? I re- yeah, I really did. Um, he looked to me, and, and I've known Craig for 32-odd years, but he looked tired. Um his work ethic is such that, mate, he is doing 16-hour days, seven days of the week, and the eight hours that he's not working, he's thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he looked tired. Um, I think he's, he might get a little excited about the transition Melbourne are in and Melbourne are going to find themselves in. Yeah. Um, never before have they, have they needed to have such a player rotation as what the next 12 months is going to be with the Bromwich boys and Felice Gafusi uh, already off contract. That's a big chunk of your, of, your, of your football side and a big chunk of your experience and your mentors. So... I think Craig might get a little bit excited about that. And um, if I if I was had to put a dollar on now, I, I'd say he might go around again. Do you think there's motivation there uh, to win one without the likes of Smith, Cronk and Slater? Uh, I don't think Craig would have thought of it like that. Yep. Um, he's a club first guy. So it, it almost... It almost doesn't matter who was wearing the jersey. The jersey's more important than the person wearing it. So any premiership or any success, he sees as a Storm success, not a not a Cameron Smith or a Cooper Cronk or a Billy Slater success. Um, but, yeah, look, it, it raises a valid point. Um, you know, Craig was blessed with some wonderful recruitment and retention over the years, but that... That shouldn't take away from his coaching prowess, his coaching record and the, the legacy that he's built. Um, so, no, I don't think he would look at it like that. I, I think it would be more the challenge uh, and guiding the next group of young men to, to something special. Harry Grant and Jerome Hughes look like they're close enough to sign up. Um with Cameron Munster being the odd one out there. And we know, yeah. that, we know that the Dolphins are circling profusely on a Munster signature. Um, can you get the crystal ball out for me? Would he be the first marquee signing for the Dolphins? Oh, I'm, oh, I really, I'm not sure. Um, what the Dolphins are doing is driving everyone else's prices up, and yes. they know that. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's that's been a really smart of theirs since day dot. Um, 
they don't mind if the media is reporting that they're chasing this player or this player or this player, whether it's right, wrong or indifferent, it drives the price of that player up. So if his club is going to keep him, they're keeping him on probably more uh, more money and, and less salary cap than, than what they had planned. Now, with, with Cameron, look, he's had well-documented problems for a number of years um, off the field. We don't doubt what he can do on the field, but, but off the field, you would hope, you really hope that he's learnt the lessons and he's a better man now than, than what he was 12 months ago. Um, I still think there's a huge element of risk in in uh, in perhaps signing Cameron as your, your marquee guy, your marquee guys, your sponsorship, your advertising, um, your membership. Um, it's far more than just being a footballer. There's there's a lot of responsibility that come comes with it. Um, and I think Cam is probably more of a turn up and play guy than than the marquee guy, if that makes sense. My last couple of questions, Andy, about you and your own career. In my opinion, you're one of the best play-by-play commentators in all of sport, whether it be boxing or footy. And some of the Thank fights, you, some of the fights you've called have been iconic. And to me, you're a big component for that. Uh, from your perspective, what makes a good caller or commentator? Um, allowing the stars of the show, which is uh, the boxers or the footballers or the race car drivers to be the stars of the broadcast. Um, we did Barry Hall and Sonny Bill Williams last week for Stan Event, the very first one. And I had Anthony Mundine, Danny Green and George Cambosis in commentary with me. And we went through a few rules beforehand Um as a play-by-play guy, it's my job to tell them, tell the viewers what's happening. Uh, and as as fighters or ex-fighters, you tell them why it's happening. But I said there is no need to talk over the top of everything. Uh, dead air is, is okay. And I'll give you an example. When you've got the camera in the corner and the two boxers make their way over into the corner and they're throwing punches and you can hear the body shots and uh, you can hear them, you know, talking or grunting or groaning and throwing punches. There is nothing I can say as a commentator that's going to enhance that visual or that that experience. So I'll always shut up. Uh, I do the same in a scrum in rugby league or when the referee's talking to a player in rugby league. Um, I can't add anything to that, so why try and it infuriates me to hear commentators or colour commentators more so during a rugby league game. Um, the ref calls out the naughty kid and is going to send him to the sin bin. And you've got the colour commentator saying, oh, here he goes. He's going to give him a warning here. He'll probably go to the sin bin. And this is for a high shot. Shut up and let us hear why he's going to the sin bin. You don't have to relay the message when we can hear the message firsthand. Yeah. That's hundred percent right. <laughs> do you, do you ever You'll go? You'll notice that now. You'll notice that now. Hundred percent. That's that's all I'll be listening to over over the weekend. Um, do you ever go back and uh, listen to something for the purposes of listening to your own call and and listening how 
um, how you went personally? No, I don't. I can't stand the uh, <laughs> the sound of my own voice. So that would be um, that'd be a very negative thing to do. <laughs> I will. Um, I know if if I've done okay or if if I haven't just by um, my own judgment, and I, I am brutally hard on myself. Um, and unfortunately, I'll I'll pick out one negative as opposed to twelve positives. Um, but I don't sit down and, and listen to myself back. Um, others might, and good on them. Um, and if that helps them, that's wonderful. And if that's part of the learning process for a young bloke, you know, great. And and do what makes you feel comfortable. But uh, I'm uncomfortable listening to myself, and and would just get nitpicky and. It'd never end much, I don't think. I think it's a common trait in media. For anyone that works in media, you, you hate to listen back to your own stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That certainly rings true for me. Is there any sort of uh, preparation you do for a game on the weekend? Like, is there any sort of individual work you'll go off and do pre, pre-hand? There's a lot, mate. Um, you know, if I've, got a, uh, if I've got a game on the weekend, whether it's television or radio... Uh, it'll be a two-hour on-air uh, job, but there's probably 10 hours at least go into it sitting at the office desk at home. I'm, uh, I'm OCD, basically, with my notes and my preparation. Everything has to be done absolutely perfectly in advance so I get the opportunity to, to absorb it and let it sink in so it becomes very much second nature to me. Um, and the, I knew that was the right thing to do. But the second game I ever called was a a footy game at Parramatta. I can't remember the opposition. I can't remember the players involved. But from the kickoff, a team tried a short kickoff to start the game. And ball catcher got absolutely smashed and hurt himself. And there was a seven and a half minute medical gap. And we're live, but it's seven and a half minutes. By the time the runners came out and the trainers came out, they attended to him, they assessed him, and then they ended up stretching him from the field. And I do recall he was okay. But I had seven and a half minutes of live television to fill, and there hadn't been a tackle yet. Yes. There hadn't, there hadn't been a single thing to refer to, to lighten the load, to, to make it easier to sort of get through that seven and a half minutes. So I basically sat down and I had my notes there and I was able to guide the director around where we would have a look at the Parramatta hooker and I'd tell a story or deliver a stat about him and then we'd go to another player. And we, look, we filled a, a seven and a half minute hole and, and did so professionally without making it too obvious that we were, we're all struggling to, to try and fill time. Um, but you never know what live sport can dish up. Uh, so therefore my notes, my research, um, mate, always absolute 10 out of 10. Um, I, I wouldn't and couldn't operate in any other way. 
Finally, Andy, I'd love to talk to you about your own podcast you've been doing for a while now. It's called Andy Raymond Unfiltered. About 250 episodes in, give or take, and it's in my rotation of podcasts, and it's fantastic. And uh, Have you found it enjoyable to do? Yeah, I, I have. I really have. It's uh, uh, one of the reasons, Tommy, and this sounds quite weird, but for 25 years, I've had guidance from producers, executive producers, directors. Um, I've had time restraints um, because, you know, you, you can't just talk as long or as short as you want and your interviews have got to be a certain length to fit in with everything else on the broadcast. And what I'm enjoying is the fact that, you know, podcasting, it's no rules. If you want to release 100 podcasts in a week, well go ahead and do that. But if you want to do one every four weeks, well, go and do that. It doesn't have to be a certain length about a certain topic. You don't have to, uh, um, you know, you don't have to bag anyone. You don't have to pander to anyone. So just the fact it's no rules, hence the title unfiltered. Unfiltered doesn't mean I, I go silly at any stage. It just means there's no rules, no parameters, and what feels right and what I'm enjoying is, is exactly what I'm going to do. I love how even under, even though it's all under the one banner of, of the Unfiltered podcast, you have all these sorts of mini-series embedded into it, like the Legends series, for example, or Q&As or the yeah. Dream 13s, just to name a few. Is there one particular one that you really get a kick out of doing? I... Um... I enjoyed the, the Legend Series interviews yep. in the fact that um, I've built up so many contacts made over such a long period of time that I can sit down with these guys that I consider mates and, and I've got their full trust and they, they tell me the full story. And one that's just going up this week um, with a former Origin and, and Test star, Ben Hannon is the most emotional um, and spine-chilling interview I, I think I've done. I mean, just astonishing. It really is. Um, and Ben, by his own admission, isn't a Wally Lewis or a Peter Sterling or a Mal Meninga. Um, but all these guys, they've all got different stories to tell. Um, and I'm really lucky that they're comfortable with me to be able to tell me. So... That's probably where I'm getting the kick out of it, mate. Has there been a highlight across the 250 episodes span that you can point me to that you really look back on and thought, man, that was great? The one I will uh, mention, I interviewed uh, South Sydney icon Bob McCarthy, who dates back to the early 60s. And throughout the interview, he was telling first-hand stories of being coached by the little master Clive Churchill. And the more I thought about it as I was doing this interview, I, uh, I was sitting there with Bobby at his place down at uh, Coogee in Sydney. And I'm thinking, these are first-hand stories about Clive Churchill, about the, the first of the immortals, about the little master. It's not he said or she said or my dad's uncle's brother's, <laughs> you know, Baker told me this story. It was first-hand stuff, and I got a huge kick out of that. I really did. Well, Andy, that's all I've got for you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been great. Hopefully not the last time. Tom, anytime, buddy. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. 
A big thanks to Andy for coming on the show today. A nicer bloke you will not meet. You can catch him on Triple M Calling the Footy or his own podcast, Andy Raymond Unfiltered, on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at T Canfell. And don't forget to give the 6 to Go Facebook page a like as well. My name is Tom Canfell. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And until next time, this has been the 6 to Go podcast and that is full time.